Hey, Cracked fans. We are so excited to be welcoming our friends at Turna back to this show as a supporting sponsor moving forward. Now, of course, all of you tennis fans know Turna Tennis for their world-famous Turna grip, that iconic purple-colored grip you see on the rackets of so many different professional tennis players. But did you also know that they make the tackiest grip in the world? That's right, folks, the brand-new Turna Tennis Mega Tack Grip. It's the tackiest grip on the market. It starts tacky and, simply put, stays tacky longer than any other grip you'll find out there. And if you tell your opponent, what do I use on my racket? I use the Mega Tack. You're going to be attacking with that Mega Tack from start to finish. If you've seen anything we do at Cracked Rackets, you know I'm a hairy guy. As you can imagine, I sweat when I play. The only grip that works for me is the Turn of Tennis grip. Of course, the Mega Tack taking things to the next level. How can you get yourself hooked up with a Turn of Grip today? It's simple. You're going to either find it wherever you buy your tennis goods. Or you can email them directly by emailing sales at uniquesports.com. That's sales at uniquesports.com. You mentioned Crack Rackets sent you in the email. We would greatly appreciate that as they let you, them know that we sent you there. But more importantly, you get a free sample and they'll treat you as family moving forward. Again, you email sales at uniquesports.com. You mentioned Crack Rackets. You get the free sample. You get hooked up with our friends at Turner. Once you use a Turner Grip, you're never going to turn anywhere else. Of course, again, ask them about the mega tack the tackiest grip on the market contact sales at uniquesports.com and get started with our friends at turn to tennis today welcome to hey great shot this is the Great Shot Podcast, a Crack Rackets and Tennis Channel Podcast Network production. My name is Alex Gruskin. It's the moment we've been waiting for all season long. The day we finally get to break down the 2022 NCAA tournament here on today's episode of The Deciding Point, of course, our weekly breakdown of all of the action that happens across the Division One college tennis world. And look, it's postseason time. You listeners can know and expect what we're going to be doing here on today's show. We're going to break down the 2022 NCAA Women's Division One draw. Obviously, we had our live selection show last night. We were able to offer our instant reactions to all the madness, all the chaos that unfolded. Of course, if you missed that show, you can go hear it over on our Great Shot podcast feed. But of course, here on today's show, we've had some time to reflect on the selection committee's decision. We are now ready to break it all down, offer our predictions for weekend number one of the NCAA tournament. And if you're going to break down six. 16 regions of action. If you're going to talk about the shocking lineup decisions, if you're going to talk about which teams are feeling best, which teams are feeling like maybe they were screwed over by the selection committee, if you're going to try and predict the upsets and so much more, you better have some help to do it here on this show. Thankfully, I do each and every weekend. Joining me once again to break down the Division One women's draw is the man who joins us every week on our Tuesday episodes of The Deciding Point, a man you know best as your co-favorite writer on our website, crackrackets.com, founder of the No Ad, No Problem blog, of course, our West Coast correspondent here for all things college tennis at Crack Rackets and co-host of this episode of The Deciding Point. It's our friend, John J. Parsons. Jay, hey, great shot. The week is finally upon us. We had lineup surprises. We had shocking decisions, everything and more. 
what a day yesterday was. How are you feeling? <laughs> it's been chaotic. I feel like I haven't been this busy in a very long time uh, between work and just the chaos of yesterday and the questions and the the DMs and the messages. And it's been super fun just to to break all of it down. And um, I mean, we're here, right? This is what we, we build for the entire season. The tournament's upon us, postseason play. The draw is set. We, we can project the matchups. I mean, this is what we wait for. It's a, it was like, I mean, for me, it was like Christmas morning. I don't know if there's an equivalent, <laughs> but for me, it was like Christmas morning. Yeah, it's a fair assessment. And just to give listeners and viewers today joining us live on our YouTube stream, and thank you to all of you who are taking the time to join us. So appreciative that you stuck with us all season long. And now we get to have fun, obviously, for this postseason stretch of play. But just so everyone knows what Jay was balancing, I texted him early this morning and I was like, hey, you got 10, 15 minutes to hop on a call because I just want to lock in what tonight's outline is going to look like, how we're going to order everything. He goes, I can fit you in 1 to one fifteen Eastern time because I've got double header calls for my actual job throughout the rest of the afternoon, to which I said, don't worry, we can just handle this by text. But again, to show Jay's commitment to this show, the man has a real job, still willing to put in the work, put in the research needed to feel uh, to ensure that all of us feel informed, excuse me, as we head towards the start of postseason play. So as always, thank you, Jay, for joining us here tonight. And yes, now the fun begins. And on today's show, as I mentioned, what we're going to be doing, starting with our refined reactions to the selection committee's decisions. Who are the winners? Who are the losers? We'll break it all down in our opening segment. Then we're going to get into the lineup shock. And certainly there are not confirmed lineups yet, as each of them have yet to go through the challenge process. But there were some shockers. There were certainly some notable switches, some things that happened to catch Jane Mai's attention, including perhaps a paradigm shifting lineup announcement from one team. We'll get into that on today's show. And then, of course, we'll get into the regions, which host seeds are on upset alert. Of course, the top 16 seeds hosting uh, this weekend's action. Are all of them going to advance to that super regional round of 16? We'll find out. We'll offer our predictions here on today's show. Who are the locks, the best of the rest, and so much more. It's going to be a jam-packed episode, folks. And of course, the reason we are able to have so much fun here and have been able to provide this coverage on the deciding point week in, week out. And again, what is it? Week 15, 16 of this show. The reason we've been able to do it is because of the support we get from our friends at both Swing Vision and Turna. And obviously, I say it every week. I mean it each time I do. Our friends at Swing Vision on the forefront of all innovations happening in terms of artificial intelligence in tennis. I said this on the podcast with their CEO, Swap Milsa. Hi, if I am a coach, I'm getting the Swing Vision app on my appliances for the 2022-2023 season. Simply put, you're not going to need your volunteer assistant to go through all of the footage to break down all of the matches because the swing vision app, it'll do it for you through its artificial intelligence. It'll break down the unforced errors, break it down by category as well. You'll have access to more data than you can possibly imagine via an app on your phone. Again, you could download the swing vision app today. Learn more about it by clicking on the link in the description to this podcast. Use our promo code crack 20. When you do inevitably sign up and you'll get a $20 discount, 14 day pro trial. Again, we wouldn't endorse it so full-throatedly if I wasn't so confident it was the future. A huge thank you to our friends at Swing Vision. I'm telling you, folks, check it all out. Click on the link in the description to the uh, of this show. Of course, a huge shout-out to our longtime partners here at Cracked Rackets as well. Excuse me, at Turna. Uh, look. 
all of you have come across a player in your life, whether it be at the local level, college level, pro level, who's using Turner Grips on the racket. Simply put, it's the best in the business. And guess what, folks? They've got more than grips. As you see on your screen, if you're watching live, the big hitter Silver 7 Tour, which has been rated by multiple sites as the top string in the industry. Turner's got it all. And you can learn more about Turner and join the Turner team today by emailing sales at uniquesports.com. You mentioned we here at Cracker Racket sent you. Of course, we'll appreciate that. But they'll throw in discounted prices, throw in some free samples as well. Treat you like family. Again, email sales at uniquesports.com, sales at uniquesports.com to join the Turner family today. With that said, Jay, I'm overwhelmed. I don't even know where to start today's show. That's why it was essential. I get you via some form of communication to lock it all in. Let's start again with our reflections from the selection committee. There were certainly a lot of different things to sift through. And in our live show prior to the NCAA draws released, we talked about that FIU Wisconsin bubble. Chris laid out the scenario for why FSU, uh, FIU excuse me, was the final team in over Wisconsin. That's where I want to start with our winners and losers, I think. And look, we're glass half full here at Crack Rackets, but we're also realists here at Crack Rackets. I think the loser we have to start with is Michigan and the Big Ten. I mean, did the first of all, only three teams in the NCAA tournament for the Big Ten, Ohio State, Michigan, Northwestern. That's it. Wisconsin, your last team out of the draw. Do I have an issue with that? I do simply because I'm telling you all, and we broadcasted a lot of Wisconsin matches on our Crack Rackets YouTube channel throughout the course of the year. I got to see them at the National Indoors. Yes, they went 0-3, but they played USC 4-3. They played ODU 4-2. You know, they played Michigan 4-3 during the season, Northwestern 4-3 during the season. They were right there in so many different matches. Do they have a signature victory? Maybe not, but... I mean, that one's tough. No top 10 seeds for the Big Ten. You know, Ohio State ultimately at number 10. Michigan sent to Texas. Did the committee not factor in Sunday's result, Jay? Like, obviously, I think Michigan's a massive, you know, I feel it personally. And I know I'm speaking on behalf of the feelings of many of people in and around the Michigan women's tennis program. How the Big Ten champs can get sent to number four Texas when Georgia Tech, who just 14 and 10, does not have the resume that the Wolverines do. You're sending them to Auburn. I will never understand that decision, no matter how hard I look at it, Jay. I just I look at the Big Ten and I think they did not win the selection process. You know, the one time I do not create the outline, we start with Michigan. (laughs) but um i mean i think you have some valid points um look i is wisconsin good enough to be in this tournament absolutely can you really feel like they should be in there they had great opportunities they hosted indoors they played odu a winnable match there one of those matches and they're in um so that's tough and this is kind of the you know similar story with the big 10 right a lot of those teams and you know obviously last season it was by no fault of their own, but they tend to find themselves a little more siloed, a little bit on the outside looking in. And so it's tough to feel that bad. I'll be honest. I don't totally understand your concern or issue, I should say, with the Michigan thing. And the reason why is because there's a total through line of a lack of integrity in this draw, right? They don't prioritize seeding integrity beyond the top 16 look at we'll talk about this more throughout the show but oklahoma couldn't have gotten a tougher number two seed 
right? And so when you look at it, Georgia Tech drives to Auburn. Michigan's going to be on a plane. Michigan could go anywhere. Michigan was probably the last team standing. Who's open? Texas. Does it is it unfortunate for Michigan? Absolutely. But there's also a whole host of other schools that kind of get screwed over by the travel matrix being priority number one. Well, that's where we don't disagree. I don't actually think it's a disagreement, and I'm happy you framed it that way because that is the underlying principle, and it's established with Michigan in the Big Ten. I I think you saw it for pieces of the Pac-12 as well where everyone got scattered. The travel matrix is first and foremost the priority for the NCAA committee beyond the top 16 seeds. As you said, they will tinker with the top 16 seeds for integrity. Now, they didn't. On the women's side, the only example they really did it with was Middle Tennessee, and that's their one integrity change in the entire outlook. Although I know Chris sort of laid out the case on Twitter for why mathematically it made sense as well. But one t- like why make a single tinker if that? And I think the math case is that they didn't even tinker is that Middle Tennessee ended up 16 overall. It was all about the travel matrix. And each year I think I fool myself into thinking maybe this is the year it's not going to be. But this wasn't the year like, yeah, regardless of if it feels like Michigan was boxed out of that with that Sunday result. And again, from a competitive balance standpoint, you cannot argue to me that Georgia Tech is a more worthy seed at the number 13 seed, regardless of who that 13 seed is, than number 17 Michigan at the number four seed. But to your point, that's what this exposes is it's travel matrix. First and foremost, it's a non-revenue sport. We're trying to keep the costs down. You can understand that reasoning. But I hate it. Yeah, I don't like it either. Um, But you're right. I don't even think Georgia Tech will be a top 32 team. I think they're 33 or 34. So, yeah, (laughs) they're not deserving of of the two seed on paper. Uh, But that travel matrix weighs out when you get beyond the top 16. And, you know, the NCAA is going to force these teams to pay their own way for the first two rounds. So they're going to try and minimize travel where needed. And, you know, it's unfortunate. It creates a lot of repetitive matchups that we see year after year. Um, particularly for some of these more saturated areas of the country. And it creates some, you know, very lopsided regionals for sure. No, you know, Notre Dame's always going to Michigan or vice versa. You know, you know, Florida State, Florida, they're all staying in state as well. You're right. That travel matrix leads to repetitive matchups. And the flip side of this, the argument in favor would be, hey, you know what repetitive matchups spawn? Rivalries. That's the glass half full, I suppose, take. You could try to spin. It's not a horrible one. Um, The other one, again, it is a non-revenue sport. Certainly the Michigans of the world, they've been like, please, we'll fly wherever you need us to fly. But there are many programs that do not have that luxury. And thus, you can understand why that travel matrix is prioritized. I do want to say that because I want to make clear, obviously, someone who went to the University of Michigan, I feel personally slighted. That said, I do understand and see the big picture, even if I don't love the reasoning. But with that said, let's move on to our next winner. Or let's move on to a winner. Glass half full. Duke, they get the number three seed over Texas. Jay, floor is yours. Yeah, I mean, this was a a big win. It seems like it came down to common opponents um, that kind of tilted into Duke's favor, as well as I think they had slightly more top 50 wins. But I think the biggest reason that Duke is a winner is because whoever was in this number three seed, I mean, the draw is pretty wide open. Uh, you know, they're going to face Georgia potentially, um, which is a team without, 
you know, their top singles player who they beat at the national indoors, who they already beat. And then NC NC state in the quarterfinals, who they also beat this year. So Duke absolutely came as a, as a huge draw winner for me based on the projected seedings. Now those might not hold, but um, as of today, by the way, I screwed that up. I thought you were talking about NC State. It was NC State who beat Georgia at the National Indoors. Oh, right? yeah, Duke, yeah. Yeah, I don't Duke think didn't Duke, make it. Yeah, Duke has not played Georgia this year. Uh, but to your point, you're right. For a Duke team that, A, let's say Furman knocks off ODU. Duke's off Furman at the National yep. Indoors. They know that matchup. And as frisky as Furman is, Duke has been there before. B, to your point, if, it, then, is, yeah. if it is NC State, they've seen that matchup before. It's a conference rival. And again, I just, I like the experience of this team. Beck, Chen, you know, Drummy, Billiken, they've been through the ringer before. They made the quarterfinals last year. They're the number three seed. They're rewarded for their home stretch of the year. Yeah, this team's extraordinarily dangerous. And I don't, I wonder if you ask Jamie, do you want to be on the same side as North Carolina or do you not want to play them till the final? What would his answer be? You know, Duke has played North Carolina close in these NCAAs, even last year, right? I mean, Duke had had a a, somewhat of a tough season. They played that North Carolina team very close. I feel like that's not the first time we've seen that. At the end of the day, he would probably say, hey, all roads could lead through North Carolina. You play them in the quarters, you play them in the finals, you got to beat them. Um, I do love the ACC packed, ACC Big 12 symmetry of one North Carolina, two Oklahoma, three Duke, four Texas. Like you get one on each side. Let's separate them all. Uh, Let's have some fun. Um, But yeah, certainly Duke, again, a big winner, rewarded number three seed. Let's go. I mentioned Oklahoma. Let's go to another loser here. The Oklahomas in general, Sooners, obviously, as you referred to, they receive Arizona State as the number two seed in their region. Arizona State reached the Pac-12 Conference Finals and was playing as well as any team down the season's home stretch. Oklahoma State, second round match. You have to play perhaps the most the team with the most question marks around them in UCLA or a battle tested Arkansas team. I don't think either of the Oklahoma's is the most thrilled about their regions. No, I mean, to talk about a juxtaposition between Duke and Oklahoma in terms of their draws. I mean, Oklahoma couldn't get a tougher number two seed. Oklahoma couldn't have gotten a tougher top, you know, 13 through 16 seed. And honestly, they probably couldn't have gotten a tougher um, five through eight seed in Texas A&M. So Look, it's it's tough sledding for Oklahoma, um, and it, it kind of reinforces some of these draw integrity questions, right? When you look at a Duke versus Oklahoma, um, two versus three seed, there really shouldn't be much difference there, but they're 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 tangibly different. Stanford, A and M, Duke, North Carolina—that would be the path for Oklahoma if everything holds seed. Ooh, that would be spicy. Uh, meanwhile, yeah, again, if you're Oklahoma State. You feel good about your lineup. You feel good about yeah. your depth, but depth. But Forbes, Bolton coming to town. Kimmy Hans has been exceptional. We'll talk about it in a second. Again, not an easy seed uh, draw for an Oklahoma State team that really hasn't been tested together in this NCAA tournament stage together. And so it's still, even if there are some veteran pieces, it's still a relatively new group gelling that UCLA team has been through some wars before. Let's go back to the winner side and two winners we can do quickly. Princeton received the number two seed in Virginia. Georgia Tech received the number two seed in Auburn. I mean, we already talked about the Georgia Tech one, but Princeton getting a two seed after the January and February they had, Jay. This league, this league, 
I mean, they barely got into the tournament, right? I mean, yes, they won the Ivy, so record wouldn't have mattered, but they were what 11 and 10 and they won the Ivy by, I think one or one match. Um, they were almost on the outside looking in here. So yeah, to get the two seed was pretty stunning. And just re- again, reinforces this team is in the low forties, right. And got a two seed. Um, there's just, there's just a lot of deltas, but yeah, I mean, this, um, it's a good opportunity for them to get a match and I'm looking forward to that potential second round with Virginia. Yeah. It's going to be fun. And, you know, again, quickly, another winner, Florida who received the top 16 seed and FSU as their number two seed in the region. If you're a Florida Gator fan, I mean, you've beaten the Seminoles, what, twice already uh, this season. And again, what's Florida's signature win? On the year, I don't know if they definitively have one, and yet by beating the rest, they're still your number sixteen seed. You got to be feeling good if you're Roland. Yeah, I mean, I don't have any, much problem with them being seated sixteen. I think the downside is why, you know, Michigan, Arizona State, UCLA, all of those teams we just talked about would much rather be going to Florida. Um, and honestly, Florida should have to face those teams to get to the round to the round of sixteen. Your mouth, God's ears. All right, last loser, the Pac twelve. I mean, UCLA, Arkansas, first round match. That's not easy. Arizona State, of all the places they could have gone, Oklahoma as the number two seed. That's brutal. Washington's a three seed at AM. Again, only two top 16 seeds, uh, no top 10 seeds as Cal's 11, Stanford 15. I thought it was both on the men's and women's side. Pac 12 had a rough, uh, rough selection show. Yeah, absolutely. Certainly on the women's side here. I mean, this is one of the drawbacks when you don't get teams into indoors, right? Yeah. We saw it in the Big Ten last year. We saw only one Pac-12 team indoors in Cal this year. And Cal's had their up and down season. So it's not like they've maintained kind of a, a top five ranking throughout the season that other teams could feed off of. UCLA missed out on two opportunities to play Cal and Stanford. So this is this is what we get. I mean, those are all very dangerous teams on the road. All right. With all of that said, those are our winners and losers. And of course, we'll get into the bracket and we will, of course, be offering predictions as we go through this show's but uh, show. But before we can get to predictions, what are the lineups we're going to see on court? Now, again, coaches still have the opportunity to challenge all of these lineups. But let's talk about the lineup shocks and the paradigm shift I alluded to in the intro of this show. We have not seen her play all season long, but Michaela Gordon only played in the top of the use of the Stanford lineup. Excuse me. She has been a part of NCAA championship winning teams. Allegedly, allegedly, according to the submitted lineups, after not playing all season, and she still had one year of eligibility left and West Coast correspondent, Jay, I'm going to leave the floor here open for you. The former All-American submitted at the number five spot in Stanford's lineup. Now, at the start of the season, you go back to our college contender series. I said with Michaela Gordon in the lineup, the additions of Valencia Shu, Alexandra Yepifanova, and of course, Connie Ma with Michaela Gordon and Blake and Geller and all the pieces they brought back. I thought this team can make an NCAA final. Well, now, you know, Gordon's back. Stanford's in their typical number 15 seed. This is just classic Cardinal. Well, not actually, yeah. but it's just like, of <laughs> course, they pull the Gordon card out of their hat. Yeah, I mean, it's funny, right? We've joked about this with all sorts of players. I think you guys joked about it with Rinky 
right, showing up or Ethan Quinn unregistering himself. Exactly. All these players, you know, I thought we hadn't, we'd seen the loss of Michaela Gordon, right? I, two things to clarify. You did mention, yes, she does have eligibility. And two, she is still a student there. She's a master's student there. True. So she's enrolled in the university, but she has not played a match all, all year. How quickly do you think this got protested? I mean, does it get protested? She hasn't played a match. I mean, so, yeah, it gets protested. There are 63 other coaches in the draw. One of them is going to say, fuck it. Sorry, off. I knew it as it was coming. But it's like, might as well submit the protest. But, yeah. like, where are you going to protest her to be? Because do you really want Ma and Yepifanova moving down? Like, do you really want to offer that depth versus, like, leave the unknown at the bottom and whatever happens, happens? I almost wonder if you're protesting for, like, can is she eligible? Right. Yeah. Like, I mean, there's probably some obscure rule, but look, it's Stanford. But you she, know that she was eligible. We know going into totally. the year, yeah, yeah. she was eligible. Right. But who knows what you know, these rules. <laughs> um, yeah. But I mean, some lineup rule, who knows? But yeah, I mean, it definitely, I assume, is getting protested. You have to believe. I mean, we talked about Oklahoma's draw. Oh my God. Like, it was already tough. Gordon but in there. I guess my question would be what would the protest be? Like, what would be the foundation of it that she needs to play higher or is it just an eligibility? I would say, I mean, I assume it's going to be tough to protest her. I mean, where do you protest her to be? That's what I'm saying. So what's the protest? I I assume it would be on the grounds of like, is she even eligible to play? Right. We've, I don't recall a, I don't recall this happening. So like, I don't know. No, Um, the only one I can think of, and it's not that he was ineligible. He was just injured is like Alex Richard. In 2015, the Baylor year, where it was like he didn't really play all year long, and Henrik right. was in, yeah. and like then and at, the, yeah. at the NCAAs, they're like, no, nah, he's gonna play four, and yeah. like he was fine. Yeah, yeah, I think he played five. Um, uh, yeah, you're right, he did play five because JC played six. Good yeah. damn, Alex. I, I'm <laughs> that was I'm West off, cut that out. Uh, go, <laughs> but screen go black, but go okay. ahead. Okay, uh, yes, yeah, so I don't know about the protest thing, but. Um, a few things to note as well on why people were asking, like, is this real? Right. Like, <laughs> like um, a few things. One, like Coach Furu doesn't come from the Ty Tucker school of lineup chicanery. Like she pretty like you might question where the players are, but she doesn't really pull this sort of stuff Two, they actually only traveled to Ojai with six players. So Anna Geller and Madurawe didn't actually travel to Ojai. And Anna Geller is off the roster now, or she's off the lineup. She's not on the submitted lineup. So at best case scenario, are you throwing her on there to have a seventh player or an, you know, an eighth player? But yeah, I mean, I think it's real. I will absolutely be there on, I won't be able to make Friday. I'll be there on Saturday. I will have evidence of <laughs> if she's playing, how well she's playing. Look, this is, this is a bombshell. Yeah, it's again, paradigm shift. If we get, I'm going to bring out the percentages here, 82% of Michaela Gordon's prime at the number five spot. Come on now. Like all American Michaela Gordon, like I will give, let me go to war with her and what she's seen. And by the way, she has, you know, let's say they knew this move was coming since, since Ohio, they've had three weeks. Four weeks. Now, I'm not saying you can get back to number one singles player in four weeks, but you can get back to something in four weeks. And yeah, and they've got another week, right? Yeah. I mean, 
even if they they don't need her for this weekend, they would just be playing their Pac-12 winning lineup this weekend. Yeah. So. Uh, no, I I agree with you. And again, why are we spending so long on this one? Michaela freaking Gordon on, yeah. is back. Like, holy crap. Um, yeah. yeah, she was at number one for the 2019 NCAA winning team. I'm actually so excited that you said I'm going to get proof with my eyes because like, that's what we need. It's like, what do we need more than anything? Cause I need to see it. And I, I trust your it. eyes. Yeah. And so, how is she playing? Yeah. Who knows? Even... I mean, she, yeah. Who knows how, how long she's been, been practicing? No idea. Yeah, what if she's just been hitting all year? Like, and then it's a new ball game and it was just Matthias Seymour, but less publicized where it's like, no, I really don't need to play. Don't worry about it. Like she was pretty- just really focused on the master's degree. She yeah. just, you Stanford know, masters, yeah. like right. you need to focus. And so yeah. again, that's the biggest one. 100%. Next order of business. Chen to one Fakuda to two for Pepperdine. Janice Chen started the year at five. Then she moved to four. Then she moved to three, you know, played a bit at two. Now she's up to the number one spot. And of course, Janice Chen was the NCAA semifinalist last year. And she's lost, what, like four matches for Pepperdine this season? I'll look at the stat. Oh, two matches. Thank you. For Pepperdine this season. Exactly. And so she's been lights out. And outside, she is playing. I mean, again, Pepperdine's lineup is a dartboard. Pear, Pete, they throw the dart and they say, you're at, except for Shiori at one. They're like, you're at two, you're at three, you're at five, whatever. Chen up to one, Fakuda up to two. I believe I saw Czar at three. That puts yeah. Pachkaleva four, Brodus five, and then Vicky Flores right now lined up at six. The notable thing in doubles, they're back to Flores and Czar at that number one spot. Of course, that pushes uh, Brodus down to the number two spot with Janice Chen. They've lost one match together uh, this season in dual match play. And then, of course, number three, I know who's listed, but we'll see what actually happens in match time. I mean, it's come full circle. We thought at the beginning of the year, this might be the lineup. This is now the lineup. <laughs> yes, that's true. Yeah, you could kind of see it coming, right? When they moved her to two at the, for the conference tournament, it was like, okay, um, this could be coming. You know, she hasn't played one all year. Um, so it's fascinating. She's obviously playing great. Um, you know, it's, it's, a, it's tough calculus, right? Because she was such a lock down in the lower half of the lineup. If you recall, when we did MVPs, you know, she was on my list. Um, but look, if she's playing anywhere near her NCAA semifinalist form, she can compete with anyone. Fakuda two is great. You move Czar and Pachkaleva. I mean, look, all these players are, are really solid. Um, it's, it's tough to really, uh, this is another one. I wonder if it'll get protested, right? What's, she hasn't played there all year. What's Lisa Czar's record at three? Curious what you think this season. I'll tell you, she's played well, two matches. I think she's 0-2. She's 0-2 at the number three spot, which is hilarious yeah. because she's 14-3 and at the number two spot. Yeah. That was what I was going to ask you. Brodus, uh, excuse me, Fakuda on the year 12-6, and six, Chen 19-2, and 7-0 at three, 3-0 and at two. She's won 13 consecutive matches. She was an NCAA semifinalist last year. I don't know if I protest because the lower Chen is in the lineup, the more confident you are that she delivers a victory. Fine, throw her at one. I don't care that Flores is at six. I mean, again, Vicky Flores, six and six overall in the the matches. Yeah, exactly. She's completed in like Brodus at five. Sure. Like 16 and five overall. Again, it's Patch Galeva's the interesting one. Eight and Mm -hmm. six overall, five and one at the three spot, two and one at four. Do you protest Brodus should be four? Patch Galeva should be five. That's where I would focus my attention. I think Chen has earned the right to be at the number one spot. Not that she already has lost the right to be there. She already has been rocks again, 12 and six overall in the year. All of her matches at number one. 
sure, throw Janice in. I do think she's been the best player, like eye test wise and result wise, obviously. Yeah, no, I don't have an issue with her at one. I mean, she's played phenomenal, and I think these lineups should, you know, represent, you know, the accumulation of the season. And she is certainly um, deserved to ascend to that top spot. Yeah. All right. Well, speaking of ascending, Oklahoma moves fresh uh, their freshman Shanta up to the number two single spot again. Guzman, the Corleys, Pisareva, Staker. They have seven options. Uh, obviously, Lane Sleeth still at the number one spot. Uh, you can lock Sleeth into number one. She will be there. But two through six, again, you could throw a dartboard, in my opinion. If you want to play Pisareva at whatever and move the Corleys to whomever. I mean, the freshmen for these Oklahoma Sooners have been that good. Your reaction to this decision? Similar to uh, Chen, right, in terms of Deshanta has been such a rock for them at yeah. three. She's played so well throughout the season. And, you know, I think Carmen Corley is, you know, doesn't have a, a dominant record at two, has sort of struggled down the home stretch here. So it makes sense. Um, I don't love it from a matchup perspective if you fast forward to a potential quarterfinal, but that's very far in advance. Quarterfinal, um, but round of 16. Like, yeah, what is well, it going to look like? Well, the Texas A&M one stood out to me in particular because of Makarova too. Yeah. Um, so that was like, Ooh, that's interesting. Um, but yes, we should not get that far ahead. Just like the players and coaches are not getting that far ahead. Yeah. But, for once I, they're actually, if when they say we're not thinking around ahead, I can say, I believe you like, in this case, you're, you're not lying to me. Um, no. no, I mean, look again, they've all been so excellent. And I would point look, Ivana, Ivana Corley has struggled outdoors. There's no denying that. I don't think she's won a match outdoors uh, yet this season. That said, I feel good about all of my six op, all seven of my options. I don't mean to exclude Lane Sleeth. It's just she is playing the number one spot. But regardless sure. of who else is anywhere else, if you're Coach Cohen and the Sooners, you feel good about all the options because they've all proven it uh, throughout the course of this season. And again, has Guzman played the most matches this year? No, but her track record speaks for itself. They've seen her in practice every day. If they're confident enough playing her, given the level of everyone else, I think we're going to trust their judgment on that one, but certainly Shanta moving up to two is notable. Some of the other ones, again, the big notable one I would say is an absence in a lineup and that's George's Leah Ma. And of course, Ma was at the number one single spot for the Bulldogs this season. You look at what she was able to do overall on the year. Ma 10 and four at the number one single spot, obviously played number two for them last year as well. The junior, one of the experienced hands in the Georgia lineup, she's out. And we saw the impact uh, for this team down the home stretch as they dropped the match at Alabama without her. And, you know, yes, they advanced 4-2 over South Carolina, 4-3 over Tennessee to get to the SEC final. They got there by the skin of their teeth. And obviously, when you lose your number one singles player, I don't all due respect to Grant and Narundorn, who have been excellent in a pinch. You can't replace Liam Ma. This is a massive loss for Georgia. Yeah, this is huge. Um, you know, and she's not listed at all on the lineup, right? So she will not be playing in the NCAA team event. Um, you know, she didn't, she didn't play it in SECs. Uh, she did not travel there. So this is a really tough replacement for, for Georgia, obviously Riasco, Vidmanova at one, two, still excellent players. And I would point out Ma was not in the doubles lineup for most of the season anyways. Right. Yeah. So it's, it's not a, you know, a loss for doubles, but I mean, look, you're going to lose one player. You don't want it to be your number one. Um, yeah. And so this is a huge, huge blow to Georgia, um, who I think was was had 
has high hopes for the end of the season. Hope Jeff Wallace challenges that. And he's like, just kidding. We have Leah. I don't know what <laughs> happened. Um, no. Yeah. Unfortunately for Georgia fans, no Leah Mon. That said, obviously the Bulldogs still have plenty of depth on the roster. And we'll talk about them more later. Some less, I would say, notable ones again. Uh, Cal makes the decision to put Rosenquist at the number three spot over Katja Wiersholm. Now, certainly Julia Rosenquist, I thought, has had a pretty good season for yeah. Cal overall. You look for Rosenquist 14 and five in dual match play, Katja Wiersholm 15 and three. I mean, you look at the number three single spot, certainly Wiersholm eight and two, I believe uh, Rosenquist one and oh, or maybe I'm a bit off on those, but I think that's right there. Um, yeah, on paper, sure. Like that's one. If I'm a coach, that's that feels like an easy challenge. A hundred percent. This felt like one where if the it layup. gets if it gets challenged, uh, oh well. Uh, if it doesn't, great. Yeah, exactly. And so that's just a sneak in. Duke goes back at one. Drummy at two. I don't have again. Beckhead played one at the end of the season. It's yep. been working for the Blue Devils. I don't think there's any argument there. No, definitely not saying this is a challenge worthy, but interesting that they were solidifying um, the change that had made for the ACC tournament. Mm-hmm. And then last, but certainly not least, Miami of Florida, your number nine seed, only six players, no code on yeah. who's 10 and four at the five and six spots. She's out for the NCAA tournament. Again, that's just an injury uh, that certainly when your depth is compromised, everyone feels that as this three week grind carries on. But with that said, it's time, Jay. We've set the scene. Who got who won? Who got screwed? What are the lineup changes we've seen? Now it's time to talk about each of the regions. And again, first round play, second round play happening Friday through Sunday this weekend on the men's and women's side. You have that first round, uh, of course, one verse four seed in each region, two verse three, the final playing that next day. We broke it down by category here. Again, we have our hosts on upset alert. We have the locks. We have the best of the rest as well. Let's start, of course, with what everyone is looking for. Who are the hosts on upset alert? Now, Jay, most fascinating to me, you have number 13 Auburn on upset alert. You think Georgia Tech, 14 and 10 overall, has they're a team that's frisky. Make the case. Yeah, look, I mean, these two teams played in February. Auburn beat them 5-2. Uh, Georgia Tech was without Kylie Bilchev, uh, who plays at number three. And a lot of those matches went deep into the third. This is a totally new Georgia Tech team than what we saw at the beginning of the season, where they were really, really struggling, right? They were on a losing streak. They've turned things around. They played Miami a very, very close 4-3 match at NCAA tournament. Auburn, I think, has struggled down the home stretch. I didn't think that was an impressive at all a good loss to to Tennessee in the SEC tournament. And I think Georgia Tech has has the players and the depth to compete with Auburn. So I'm happy. This is where we get to disagree. I think Auburn wins this match. I think they win it comfortably. What's the bad loss for Auburn this season? You want to say 4-3 at South Carolina? We were on the call for that 4-3 match. The fact that Auburn extended it as long as they did and, you know, Ackley got pushed to the third set and they were able to force third sets all these different places. And again, they beat Sarah Hamner on that day and just found a way, you know, after dropping doubles to scrap and stay alive in the match. I think 4-3 on the road is not that bad of a loss. I think their 4-2 match at Tennessee, you look at the singles matches, 
Auburn was, you know, one, I believe two of the three straight de- set decisions, maybe all of the straight set. I think it was two of the three straight set decisions. And look, four matches were in third sets. They lost the first two of those third set matches on the court. That happens. And certainly it's a loss. I don't think it's a bad loss. And I think this Auburn team has made, you know, has been a made it a point this season. They beat the teams that can't match their talent everywhere because this Auburn team has depth everywhere from obviously Ovunk at the top who has struggled comparatively 10 and 11 overall at the number one spot. But you look at the Uchens of the world, who's 15 and four at six and Ariana Arsenault, 15, six, uh, 15 and six at two and sorry, 16 and four at three. And then Axon 12 and five at five. You throw on all that together with the fact that this team's 41 and 19 in doubles. I agree. Georgia Tech has some good spots. I think Jane has been particularly good this year. Jane 16 and 6 overall in the year. Carol Lee 15 and 5 at the number 1 spot. Certainly she has to beat Ovunk. And I mean, look, that Memphis match isn't going to be a cakewalk for Georgia no. Tech either. Either Lee has to have a big weekend. Jane has to have a big weekend. This team has been good, not great, but good in doubles. They have one exceptional team in Lee and Sherabura, as you uh, or as I'm sure you know, but I think you may have mentioned it earlier. But if you're going to challenge Auburn, you need to have multiple paths to four points. I don't know that this Georgia Tech team has enough paths to four points, and Auburn has made it a, again, other than the South Carolina match, which they still managed to make a marathon. If you don't have a clear, you know, Tennessee has the depth. Yeah, the Texas A&M loss early in the season. and m obviously has the depth. I just don't think Georgia Tech does. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDSE. I think that's fair. I disagree. Uh, you know, I think like um, all of the stats and stuff are great about Auburn, but at the end of the day, the only match that matters is this match and this matchup. Um, and, you know, they do have the depth. I mean, Carol Lee did beat Ovonk at number one. They did win doubles. They didn't have Bill Chev at three, and they still were competitive at the bottom half of the lineup. So, look, I this is as much of an on paper thing where I think there are pathways as it is a as a gut feeling and a, mo- a momentum thing. They've played at Auburn this season. They go back there. That's comfortable. I've been impressed with them down the home stretch. I was really impressed with them in that Miami match. And look, can't go all chalk. So yeah. this is this is one of my upsets. Fair. I see my upsets elsewhere and we'll get to them. The match I struggled the most in thinking, what will my prediction be uh, moving forward? And uh, again, the one I think I am, I mean, I don't want to say most interested. Well, yeah, I'll say it. the match I'm most interested in is NC State's region as NC State. Uh, and by the way, again, Auburn playing host to Georgia Tech, Memphis and Jackson State. For me, it's number six, NC State, who plays host to William and Mary first round. They're going to win that match. But their matchup against Tennessee is fascinating to me because Tennessee is just a matchup nightmare for anyone they play. Simply put, Tennessee has the depth to match the best of the best. And you look for this Tennessee team who, you know, overall on the year 15 and eight, they only lost two matches this season when they won the doubles point. If they get that doubles point, 
you just look at the depth they have, whether it be, you know, a Rebecca Martena who or I just think between Martena and McGiffin, they usually go one and one at those one and two single spots. You look for uh, Elza Tomase, the freshman's been exceptional, 13 and seven at the number three spot. I think Adashina is a wild card, certainly at four on the right day. She can be exceptional. Sometimes she's taken some bad losses, but you feel like it's a one one split there. And then, you know, Daria Kutzer, the seniors go in three sets at the number five spot. And then number six, Rebecca, Mer- or excuse me, uh, Eleonora Molinaro, who has played in the top half of a lineup for Tennessee. She's now your number six option. This team hasn't been exceptional anywhere, but they've been solid everywhere. And NC State's just that on steroids. Like with all due respect to this NC State team who have been exceptional at doubles, of course. But again, Tennessee's been pretty good at doubles as well. It's one no-ad set. Yeah, you favor NC State, but anything can happen. Outside of that, you know, again, Rochelle, 18-8. and eight. Negroho, 19-6. and six. Abram, 19-6. and six. Again, it's the Tennessee 1.25, but it's a really fun matchup. Are you sure you're not on the NCAA committee? <laughs> because there are some inconsistencies in this logic that I would like to point out. Please. Auburn beats Georgia Tech 5-2. Okay. You're shocked. I picked the upset. NC State beats Tennessee 5-2. Same time of the year. And now you're picking potentially okay. Tennessee. So can, I, can I make the case? This Tennessee team's just more battle tested than Georgia Tech. Georgia Tech has what one senior on the roster, I believe, uh, for them contributing to the team this year. I'm blanking on a name, and I apologize for that fact, but I believe it's only one senior contributor. And again, the nucleus of that Georgia Tech team that experienced all of that success, like some of those pieces are still there, sure, but you know the Kenya Joneses of the world, the Vicky Floreses have moved on, and I'm I'm blanking on a piece as well. But um, again. I think when I look at this Tennessee team outside of Tomase, all of them have been, you know, and for a bunch of them, whether it's McGiffin and they just got seniors on the roster. Like this is the last stand for this Tennessee team. There's a desperation there that I think this Georgia tech group doesn't have yet because so many of them are going to be back next season. This feels like this is the shot for Tennessee with this group to make a deep run because they have the depth. And again, NC State's been excellent everywhere. I do think they ultimately win this match, but I wrestled with it for a long time because Tennessee has the depth. They're just a matchup nightmare. Yeah, they won a nightmare in February, um, yeah. but um, yeah, well, look, uh, this is a great they? match. I mean, it was 5-2. You know, NC State lost three games in doubles. Okay, um, yeah, sure, fair. Right, and they win at 1-3-3. Three and three. They win at 3-3-0. Three, three and oh. um, they sweep the top three. Yeah. Um, but look, I mean, regardless, this is I just a, blame. You know what? It, this is just my fault for ridiculing your Georgia Tech. I shouldn't have ridiculed it. I should have just said I disagree. There you go. Um, but look, because I, I don't I mean, this is going to be a great match. I'm looking forward to Tennessee, NC State. Tennessee can beat NC State for all the reasons that you mentioned. Just wanted to point that out. Here's what I like. This Tennessee team beats Auburn at the conference tournament. They lose a 4-3 match to Georgia that they very well, very well could have won. This Tennessee team is finally clicking. And that's the thing is they go into this with a little bit of confidence. Does NC State feel as confident as they did in February, in March, as they do right now in May? Certainly they will be amped up to ready and ready to go. Certainly they have already beaten this Tennessee team. I will apply this logic to Georgia Tech, why you made a good argument. It's really hard to beat a team twice in the same season. And so, again, I suppose 
yes, I see your logic for Auburn. I suppose. I mean, I know you see my logic for NC State. The last host site I would put on upset alert, I think, has to be number 12, Oklahoma State. And that UCLA Arkansas first round is one of the best first round matchups of the NCAA tournament, men's or women's. That said, UCLA is 12 and six. And like Forbes has been solid. She's come on really strong, particularly of late. And you look for this UCLA team. I have the stats in front of me. Abby Forbes, a, a 10 and two at the number one spot. Kimmy Hance, eight and one at the number four spot. Alicia Bolton, seven and four at number two. But we know when she plays her best power tennis, she can beat anyone. They're 34 and 10 in individual double sets as well. Now, the argument to make is, well, they didn't play Stanford in the regular season. When they played Stanford in the conference tournament, Stanford got them 4-1. Yeah, they beat Pepperdine and USC. They also lost to Pepperdine and USC. I have no idea what to think about this UCLA Bruins team. And, like, again, if you have Forbes at your number, give me Forbes and Bolton, as we said at the start of the season, if they're playing their best, alongside any top two duo in the country, when you just have that presence at the top of your lineup with how well Hans is playing, I know, you know, Vagramov six and eight on seven and three contains right uh, six and four, like nothing to stand out, but the path is there. Path is absolutely there. Uh, I do think UCLA gets by Arkansas. I really struggled with UCLA Oklahoma State prediction. And here, and I, I mean, look, I went because yeah, you can't do the Pepperdine thing, by the way, because UCLA also beat Pepperdine. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, <laughs> you take history a lot more into account than I think I do in some of these predictions. <laughs> like, I'm very much like just looking at these matchups, right? Um, and I went line by line on this, right? And I like UCLA at doubles. I like UCLA at Forbes, and I like UCLA at four with Hans. I like Oklahoma State at two and three. Five and six, I don't really know. Yeah. I really struggled. I ultimately went with Oklahoma State, just given what we saw them do against Pepperdine, who on paper is a stronger team than UCLA. They beat them. The, that home court advantage, I lean OK State, but would not shock me at all if UCLA does the upset. No, uh, look, I ultimately went with the host site in each of these three regions. I didn't feel great about it, but I went with Auburn. I went with NC State. I went with Oklahoma State. I think in a match where the margins are thin, what are the two things I'm looking for? Who's better at doubles? Who's better at home? Or who's better at doubles and who's at home? In this instance, all three of these host teams, obviously at home. I think Auburn's better than Georgia Tech at doubles. I think NC State's the best doubles point when they play well in the country. And I had no idea what to make of Oklahoma State and UCLA, so I just said Oklahoma State's at home. And so I was like, give me the home team in that matter. Again, these are all really fun regions. Do you think? Do all three of the, I, I think one of these three teams gets upset. I really do. Oh, yeah. I mean, it could be all of them. Um, it doesn't no, sound it's like it's never all of them. It's always it's never all of them. Usually well, we're, like only looking, we're only looking at three. Right. I mean, who knows what happens in these other regions? These are the ones we wanted to, to focus in on. The other ones probably aren't as likely, but they could absolutely happen. Right. Three is probably the max. Right. Yeah. Three non host sites, three host sites get upset. Feels a little chalkier this year to me, um, to be honest. But look, I mean, I'm calling Georgia Tech Auburn. The other ones I'm going with the host sites. I have a different upset in my, uh, I do have an upset in my. I was going to say, if, if if you're not calling one of these three, then 
No, I have a different upset in the queue that I'm going to call. But all right, let's go to the locks and the teams we are most confident are going to advance to uh, the NCAA Super Regional Round of 16. Number three, Duke, who, of course, hosts Furman, Old Dominion. I'm playing. I think it's James Madison is their number four seed. That feels right. Uh, Certainly from that standpoint, I'll I'll go look that up. Quinnipiac. Oh, it's Quinnipiac. Did you have the draw in front of you? I have our notes in front of me. Okay, even better. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> you look for Duke again, your number three seed. Uh, they Oh, duh, because you put it down further in the outline. See, I'm further up in the outline. That's the mm. problem is I'm looking at the order. You got to be, be quick on the cursor. Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm too active with my hands as I talk. True. Um, all right. Number three, Duke, Quinnipiac, Old Dominion, Furman. Look, again, back versus startup save if we get it. Just cut the clips. Let's watch that match. I don't need to watch anything else. Old Dominion's battle tested. They're good at doubles. Not going to be intimidated going on the road. This team has done that all season. I still just think this Duke team's clicking on all cylinders. The freshmen are getting more comfortable. They get to play at home as well this first weekend. Yeah, there'll be some nerves. I don't know if ODU can match the. Oh, that's the thing is like they've been, I forget if it's at four, five, or six, but like they do have some options in the bottom of their lineup. And so. I still think Duke's a lock. I'm sorry. Yeah, I, I agree. Yeah. All right. No, anything else to add? Furman, uh, Furman versus Old Dominion. Who you got? I have ODU. At some point, just the big match experience they've played in all season is going to pay off. Precisely. All right. Number four, Texas as a lock. Pains me to say. And their number two seed is Michigan. I don't have the other three and four. Who are the three and four? Texas versus Ball State and Michigan versus Oregon. Okay. Oregon, always tricky. They've had some nice wins this year. I suppose that's one of Wisconsin's signature wins going back to it full circle. Uh, I mean, Texas, just the way they won the Big 12 championship. Stern, I mean, just the firepower they have. Again, Michigan prides itself on its depth, certainly, but Texas may have that in spades. Well, I don't know about depth in spades this season. Uh, You know, I think five and six, Michigan would have to win those spots, and I think they could. Um, you know, Zamaripa have been very good. They've been very good. And I think Brown at two could be a win. Problem is they just are not getting the doubles point. And so to take except for against Ohio State on Sunday, which you and the committee seem to have forgotten. <laughs> no, the committee remembered they send you to Texas anyway. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, look, I think Texas is a lock here, although look, I mean, I think this could be a good match. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, it's going to be fun. Um, again, number seven, Texas A&M. I believe it's Baylor. Who's in their region? Yeah, it's uh, Corpus Christi uh, playing Texas A&M and then Washington and Baylor. Okay, we're just going to, I'm going to say the lock. You tell me who's in the region from now, and that's how we'll do it smoothly. Sorry, Westoff. Um, look, Baylor is experienced. They've got depth. A&M's just a better version of them. Yeah, and, and Baylor has struggled And Washington, a bit by the way, that's a good match, although I know who's out. It's, uh, it is uh, Maude Fortin. Uh, the number two, I believe, is out. Um, she's been out for the last few matches. Um, so Washington's not healthy. I do expect Baylor to get through that. Um, but they've kind of struggled down the home stretch. I don't think AM has any issue getting through this region. By the way, we had a question early on, and I apologize if I address it from Ryan Lee, who said, what does the lineup actually mean? Do they have to follow this order oh, in great the question. NCAA? It's a great question, Ryan. Jay, go ahead. Well, there's a few things. Um, so you submit your lineup. You have 15 players you, you, for the regional and the super regionals. And then the final site, you can name nine who can play. Uh, they must play in the order that you submit. If the only thing you can do is pull a player. So, for example, if you pull number two, everyone moves up. Um, same thing where you see often the most changes at number six. 
people will often pull number six and then put in their seven, eight or nine. Doesn't matter. But yes, there is no flipping in, in any order during the NCAAs for singles. For doubles, they have the direct line substitution. So you can substitute in one player um, in one of the positions. And then you are able to reorder at that point in time based on strength of the new teams. Um, but pretty much you see a direct line replacement and um, and they keep them as is. Yeah. That, well said. I have nothing more to add. Hopefully, Ryan, that answers your question. Obviously, if you follow up or if any other of you, any others of you, excuse me, have any questions, please feel free to submit them in the chat or tweet at us at jtweetstennis at al gruskin. Oh uh, yeah, I agree. Again, and for this A and M team, regardless of what's interesting is, do they go Townsend? Do they go McBride? What are they going to do at that number six spot because they were playing around at the end of that SEC tournament and. Go ahead, Jay. You look I was like gonna say it's a great example. They have Morales at six. If they yes. wanted to play Townsend at seven, they could just pull Morales. Townsend moves up. She plays six. Yeah, I, did I say McBride? I meant Morales. Thank you. Um. All right, number ten, Ohio State. Who they got? Ohio State versus Illinois State, and then Vanderbilt versus Xavier. Yeah, look, Vanderbilt has come on very strong at the yeah. end of this season. I actually think they have the depth to match Agreed. Ohio State. But give me Contos. Give me Boulay. That doubles point is a brawl again because I see two wins for Ohio State. That's why I would lean towards them. That's why I have them as a lock. Yeah, I think Vandy gets six. I think Cortina has been super solid for them throughout the year. Um, But I agree. Ohio State over Vandy. Yeah. All right. Number 11, Cal. Who do they have? So Cal versus Northern Arizona and then Texas Tech versus LMU. LMU Cal is an interesting one because this LMU team has certainly been frisky throughout the course of this season. That said, I do feel like there's a depth to Cal in singles, even if they continue to drop doubles points. I do just like the depth for Cal. I I think that helps them win out in the end. I agree. I'm more interested in the LMU Texas Tech match, Um, you know, because Texas Tech, look, they've been beat up all season and LMU has, you know, They've looked really strong, uh, but this will be a really big test for them going against Texas Tech and then Cal. Yeah, it's going to be fun. All right. You have two where we dispute with one another. Let's start with number 14, Georgia. Obviously, we talked about Georgia being down Leah Ma. Who do they face this weekend? So Georgia versus Charleston Southern and then Wake Forest versus Northwestern. So Wake Forest and Northwestern, obviously Northwestern team we know well here at Cracked Rackets as we feature them quite frequently on our Cracked Rackets cross-court casts. Northwestern goes, uh, they pulled, or they, or they go Crowley, excuse me, at the number five spot. They're going hand at number six. No Justine Leong, the freshman, out of the singles lineup that they submitted. Here's the thing. The Give me Riasco and Viedmanova still at 1-2 over the Northwestern 1-2. And then I still think with Kowalski and Kopik in the center, I mean, those are just a couple of battles in the center of that lineup. But I just feel one of them do ultimately get the victory. Now, Northwestern has been exceptional at doubles. But I don't know if they're going to beat Wake Forest, who's been pretty good everywhere as well. And certainly Wake Forest, what, they have the number two doubles team in the country, something like that. And, um, yeah, they, they've they got depth everywhere as well. I just think Northwestern Wake Forest beat each other up. And despite Georgia beating down Leah Ma, I still think they have the singles depth to match both of these teams who do not feature the most singles depth in the lineup. That's why I have Georgia as a lock. And they're at home. Yeah, I mean, lock just feels a little aggressive for me. <laughs> Obviously, they've been able to, to scrape by in the SEC tournament. 
those are great wins for them. And look, you know, the teams they beat there to get there are on the level of Wake Forest and Northwestern, maybe even stronger, right? Um, I think the Wake-Northwestern match is interesting. Wake beat them earlier in the season indoors 4-2. Give me Wake outdoors. Um, and look, I think it's going to be scrappy. I think certainly at the bottom of the lineup, I think Wake can hang. Um, but you're right. I mean, I think Georgia gets through. Locke, I don't know. All right. Fair. 15 Stanford. 15 Stanford opens against Southeast Missouri State. And then we have two number two seeds in this region, Kansas versus UCSB. That's a juicy first round match. Extremely. And look, UCSB will be very comfortable here. They upset Stanford on these courts earlier in the year. And Kansas is coming off of a good Big 12 showing. They knocked off Baylor there. I mean, how is Stanford a lock? They've lost to UCSB this year. It's just not locky for me. That's fair. It's really just because they have Michaela Gordon now. And like, do the, uh, like I know, but do, you're right. You're like, right. You're right. I mean, I, she if she walks out there and is like a club player, it doesn't do them much good. You bite your tongue. <laughs> don't you ever slander clubs. Grant, get him. Grant, Chad, oh, don't ever send cool. Jay I, anything. <laughs> um, all right, I, meant, yeah. I meant a recreational club player. I did yeah. not mean a club tennis. In my yeah. mind, it was like at the club, you know, it's an indictment, Jay, you're dead to me. Um, I was a misstep. I'm sorry. No, it's really hard to beat Stanford twice. Like you're right. UCSB got them the first time and shocked them. I don't think they can get them again. That is really my argument there, but you're right. I, I shouldn't have put them in the lock category. I think 16 Florida though is absolutely a lock. Yeah. 16 Florida opening up against, um, that was actually the first lock I put down. I was like, I don't think FSU beats Florida. Yeah. Which probably tells you we maybe didn't get like the draw correctly. Right. If like yeah. 16 seed is like the number one lock. Wait, you're um, telling me Michigan should have gone somewhere else. <laughs> that sounds like an opening topic for a show. <laughs> <laughs> Roll it back. Yeah. Um, yeah. Florida opens against South Alabama and then Florida state FIU. I mean, you mentioned this. Florida's beaten Florida State twice this season. Florida State's four, six players on the roster. I, I mean, at home, this is spelling Here's Gator. What I'll say. Yeah, Coach Hale, if you guys win, cut that clip. Use it against me for the rest of my life. I do think the Gators, with the depth they've shown, this is just the sorts of teams they've beaten all season long. They get to do it at home as well. All right, those are our locks. Now, you'll notice, you know, perhaps uh, inauspiciously absent on that list are the top two seeds, UNC and Oklahoma. And that's where I want to get to as we move towards the best of the rest of the regions, given their opponents are UNC and Oklahoma locks to advance. We talk about Arizona state who, you know, earned victories over USC over Stanford down the season's home stretch. We look at a team like uh, UNC who's going to face the winner, certainly of an interesting and frisky South Carolina and Iowa state teams, Iowa state playing with nothing to lose. And certainly South Carolina came on strong at the end of the year. You feel like again, their top two can match the top two of anyone. And given Mora, you know, Scotty, they've been good, but not exceptional here in 2022. Give me those two matchups all day long. Are they locks? Well, we sit, we're vacillating on the, on the definition of lock for me, North Carolina is more of a lock than that's that Stanford okay. region. Um, look, I mean, Iowa state, South Carolina is going to be a great match. Um, South Carolina, you mentioned the top two look, they can compete with anyone. This team, if they get doubles. They can get the top three. Basically. The problem is that where else are they going to find points? If they get through and face North Carolina, I, 
I mean, you're going to look at some very straightforward matches at the bottom of the lineup, which just, I mean, the path for South Carolina to win this is doubles and three of the top four. Yeah, which against North Carolina, good for Very tough. Um, yeah, no, I mean, I think they both advance. Like, again, this Oklahoma team has fought off adversity all season long. Like, yeah, they lost one match against Texas in the Big 12 finals. I've, I still think it's another level than what Arizona State has seen all season long in the Pac-12. And, yeah, I would have both of these teams at, as locks. I just thought it was way more fun uh, to do it the other way. No, it is. And I mean, Oklahoma, we talked about Arizona State, great match. Um, I mean, great team this season. The matchup isn't great with Oklahoma, though. I mean, Arizona State's been very volatile with a lot of their singles wins. You're going to get some like great matches some not great matches. Just the consistency of this Oklahoma team. It's tough to see them uh, see them dropping this at home to Arizona State. Yeah, no, I mean, again, I think they're both locks, but certainly not your father's top two regions uh, here to start our first and second rounds of NCAA play. That said, let's move on to some of the other interesting uh, regions we've yet to discuss. UVA, I guess we mentioned at the top, they host Princeton. And I mean, Princeton did not have a good start to their season, but we know with Freeman, with Schwetz, with, uh, with who, with everything they can bring in their lineup uh, that, yeah, they're not a team to be trifled with at the same time, obviously army Youngstown state in this region. We think it's going to come down to Princeton, Virginia. I think Virginia does advance. I don't know if I say lock. Yeah. I mean, it's tough to say lock with the talent Princeton has right on paper. It's a lot on paper. They can very easily split two and three, which is, um, you know, positions Virginia probably expects to win in the round of 32. And then Schwetz at four. I mean, that's a very winnable match. Problem is Princeton has struggled a little bit at five and six. Uh, Virginia looks to be coming on strong there. I think ultimately uh, outdoors, you know, give me Virginia. Um, But I'm excited for this match. Excited to watch some of the Navarro Freeman matchup as well. Yeah, again, the depth of Virginia as, as well as they played, right? Hibashek and Munera and all these different players down the CZ Adato. But uh, still, certainly Princeton on paper has the depth to match. And so that's going to be a fun one to watch. Number eight, Pepperdine, who always belong and never can be in the lock category, <laughs> even though they can absolutely beat anyone. They play host to Denver, San Diego State, and of course the USC Trojans. I mean, this is just the hot and cold region because we know how good the Trojans can be. And again, Ewing, uh, Cayetano, Han, and uh, Naomi Chung back in the mix. You've got a vet in Danielle Wilson. Grace Piper's now have a million matches under her belt. Who knows how this freaking match is going to go between those two. And obviously San Diego state's been solid this year as well. Denver's always, that's just for a four seed. Denver's a tough four seed. I like this region. Yeah, this is spicy. I would say, I mean, USC can't look past San Diego state, right? Absolutely. I mean, They've got the the talent at the top. They have, and Oklahoma for the record, State. they've lost to LMU and UCSB this year. They will not be looking past San Diego State. Correct, uh, and you know because San Diego State has the talent at the top of the lineup, right? They've got Oklahoma State transfer, um, Chaiwat, who's all American. She's undefeated, I think, in dual matches this year. So they've got the power at the at the top of the lineup. So if they get through that, look, it's a rematch with Pepperdine, um, yeah. and it's going to be a good one. No, I completely agree with you there. Now, last one on the list here, number nine, Miami, who, as we mentioned, has only six players here on the weekend. Now, Miami was sneaky excellent 
throughout the course of this season. Very quietly, again, 17-5, and and all of their losses came to those top ACC teams. They get a tough one, though. Another one of those hot and cold teams in UCF. Of course, UCF reached the round of 16 last year, got knocked off in their conference tournament as such. Uh, You know, certainly a shocking upset. I believe it was, what, to USF? Not one we saw coming, and we broke it down at the time, but... There's a lot of pieces for this UCF team. And again, it's Miami, number nine, playing host to UCF, Alabama, and Stetson. How battle-tested is this Miami women's team uh, entering you know, this portion of the year? I know they played you know, in an ACC schedule, but what's the signature win for Miami this year? They beat Duke. That's one. What's the segment, second signature win for them? Virginia. Oh, they beat Virginia at home, didn't they? 6-1 over Virginia at home. Yeah, but was that the same weekend? No, different nope. weekend. So, all right, that's two. I still think I'm going to pick UCF. I think this is my unexpected okay. upset of the, of the weekend. Interesting. Yeah, I mean, look, it's tough to know what to make of this UCF team right now after that loss in conference play. This Miami team, I thought, looked really good at uh, the ACC tournament. Obviously, they're down a player. They only have six. That's a very dangerous place to be, but... I mean, I, I like them at, you know, positions two, three and, uh, and, and maybe doubles, uh, on it's also at home, but look, I mean, it's, it's a good one. Um, UCF is very much not has been knocking on the door of top 16. They've also been looking like not a top 25 team. So you don't know. It really is going to depend on on how well UCF plays. Yeah, UCF 15 and seven overall, and they lost at Miami five Oh earlier in the season. I mean, again, for this UCF team, they've got a win over a Michigan. They've got a win over an Oklahoma State, a win over a Baylor as well. On the right day, this team can look very good. And again, looking at the matchups between these two teams, and I apologize, I'm looking down, but I'm reading the stats as I go. It's the depth for UCF, right? 13 and four at four, four, 11 and four at five, 14 and six at six. They're also 33 and 21 in doubles. Now that's the big number because they're 33 and 21, Miami 36 and 19. Not that big of a disparity between those two. Again, two and a half wins separating the two. No, but I think level of competition is important to factor in there. You're right. But what I'm saying is their depth has had success. Now, to your point, you know, Audrey Bach Collins, if she's at the five spot, which I believe I saw her in in the lineup, that's a completely different test for UCF. That said, they have been that good at the bottom of the lineup. And if they can sneak out a doubles point, sneak out one of the top three. Now you don't need to sweep the bottom three. Now you need to get two of the bottom three, which you have gotten all season long. Now you're right. Miami's another caliber, and Miami beat them 5-0 when they played early in the season. Give me the Knights, though. Again, give me Coach Kenyako cooking up some magic down there. I think that's my upset special of the weekend. But that said... That's all 16 regions up and down as we break it all down. Of course, we talked about the top seeds who we expect to advance. Let's move on now to our favorite first round matches. And again, I think we both agree the barn burner match uh, first two matches. Iowa State, South Carolina, UCLA, Arkansas are on a tier of their own. Talk to me. We, we sort of talked to me about Iowa State, South Carolina first. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, Quick strategic thinking is crucial, and with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. 
Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Yeah, I mean, look, uh, Iowa State missed the kickoff this weekend. And I feel like that still looms large for them of like, we really want to prove ourselves on the national stage. And they get a chance to do that against South Carolina. Look, they've had some you know historic milestones this season. I think South Carolina wins this uh given the the strength of their top of the lineup and just being in the sec this year but but iowa state can match it like they've got what you know naclo obviously up top as well and she's played exceptional tennis uh and at the top of the lineup for iowa state this season again in carolina i do think that matters like in in north carolina but carolina conditions not the same as iowa conditions i think as you look at the little things those sorts of things matter Top two battles are interesting to me. I think it comes down to Megan Davies again. I think Megan Davies is going to deliver the clinch. I just, I just have this feeling. Yeah, she's the inflection point on that South Carolina team. 100%. Iowa State can absolutely win four, five, six, <laughs> um, particularly five and six. So, look, it'll come down to that middle of the lineup inflection point. Yeah, and so that's a fascinating one. UCLA, Arkansas. I mean, look, Spink, Keller, uh, I'm blanking on a name here as well, obviously, for uh, who, who plays number one for Arkansas. I'm blanking here. It's not Spink. It's not Keller. It's, it's not Blankastara. No, um, I, I can see her, though. I'm going to be so angry with myself. We'll get there in a second. Yeah. Oh, Tatum Rice uh, at that. I was going to say Tatum spot. Evans, but she's a U.S. Yeah. junior. Yeah, yeah, no, Tatum Rice. Good Tatum call Rice. for us. Good teamwork. Obviously, they've got depth. UCLA. We know what we're getting in Forbes. We know what we're getting in Bolton. We know what we're getting in Hans. We know what we're getting in doubles. Yeah. But we do not know what we're getting as a complete package because they've only played 18 matches this season. Arkansas has played a bunch of four threes. They went through the SEC schedule, earned valuable four three road wins at South Carolina, at Ole Miss. It's a fun one. Who you yeah. got? I have UCLA. Um, I think those positions that you talked about are going to be too strong, particularly doubles one. Um, and it's two points on the board. You know, give me UCLA. Yeah. All right. With that in mind, again, some of the other ones we've talked about, Furman Old Dominion, uh, Wake Forest, Northwestern, Texas Tech, LMU, Kansas, UCSB. Give me the Kansas top two alongside of any top two in the country. And again, UCSB, uh, certainly frisky. I mean, again, they've beaten Stanford already this season. It's not a guarantee they're going to get to the Stanford match. That to me is the other reason I had Stanford as a lock is like if Kansas beats Stanford, I don't think Kansas can match Stanford. Stanford's if Kansas beats UCSB excuse me I don't think they can match Stanford's depth and like I'm not a hundred percent sure UCSB is going to beat Kansas and so that's a fascinating one and then I really like Baylor Washington because this Washington team comes up clutch like they do and so and this Baylor team's a little desperate as well because it's an older group and so that those are some of the low-key ones but again plenty of fun 32 first round matches most fun potential second round matches let's do some power rankings here USC Pepperdine's number one, just because that's the all who the hell knows what's going to happen match. Yeah, or what we have at number two. I think those are a tier above in my NC opinion. State, Tennessee, which one? Yeah, you know, no, I'm asking you. Don't dodge the question here, Jay. Oh, which okay. are you taking? I'm going to go NC State, Tennessee. I think Pepperdine uh, handles business. I guess I would like USC Pepperdine over NC State, Tennessee, because I know NC State, Tennessee is going to be good. USC Pepperdine, both teams could win 4-0. Both teams could win 4-3. Like, USC could not beat Pepperdine 
Oh, it, that, all right. Now you're guaranteeing it. Coach Swain, <laughs> that's a challenge directly to you and the Trojans. Steve Weissman blocked Jay on Twitter. Um, all right. <laughs> Oklahoma, Arizona State, by the way, is pretty damn good. It's Absolutely. just that Oklahoma is at a tier above. You know, again, I it's very good match. It's yeah. tier two. Oklahoma State versus UCLA or Arkansas is very fun. Virginia, Princeton, fun. Texas, Michigan, fun. Yeah. Then I think it drops off a tier. And then it, it gets more fun just for us nerds. I mean, Texas, Michigan is an all side. By the way, you could have Texas, Michigan in both the men's and women's side. There's a world where Bruce Burke makes a return to Ann Arbor on the men's side. There's just a lot of fun narratives there. Two big brand schools, Ronnie versus Howie, Battle of the E's. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm selling it to you here. Um, yeah, again, you know. Big 12 doesn't have 12 teams. The Big 10 does have more than 12 teams. Um, yeah, I'm just throwing things out there. Again, a lot of fun potential lot second of round matches. Any last things you'd add there? No, I mean, hopefully we get, well, I think we're going to get most of these, which is exciting. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's a lot of potential really good ones. I think that's also the the flip side of the um, the no integrity is like you get these crazy regions. All right, well, then with that said, last but not least, let's get to our predictions. And sadly, we're both pretty chalk in terms of yeah. where our predictions come this year. We only have really a couple of disparities, and I'm sad you left it off the graphic West stuff, but our two disparities, you're taking Miami at home. I'm going to take UCF. You're taking Georgia Tech. I'm going to take Auburn. Now, of course, we've circled NC State as another region with a potential upset. Oklahoma State as another region with a potential upset. Neither of us pulled the trigger there. On principle, I will take my Michigan Wolverines over Texas. That's just on principle. You know, I would never. Ronnie, I would never pick against the Wolverines. And I got... I won't say who texted me, but someone on the Michigan team texted me and were angry about something that was on a Cracked Rackets Instagram post, something about Ohio State. Hmm. And the blame was tossed on to me. And I was like, do you really think after all of this time, I would ever disparage the Wolverines? I'm not saying I wouldn't compliment the Buckeyes, but disparage the Wolverines never. Um, and so I have to pick them here. And by the way, it says you're picking them. No, I'm picking them. John's picking. Oh. Uh, yeah, no, no. It's, it's well, all, I, not the on names the record are for that. No, no. You're <laughs> picking Texas. I'm picking Michigan. You're picking Georgia yeah. Tech. I'm picking Auburn. Correct. You're picking UCF. I'm picking Miami. No, um, you're picking UCF. I'm picking Miami. Thank you. You're picking Miami. I'm picking UCF. Ooh, this, there's just no way. Like, this just feels too chalk. No, and that was the hard part, right? Is going in a year this... of the upsets. Yes, yeah, a little bit, right? Like there haven't been a ton of like top ten seeds upset by yeah. thirty. You know, like there have been movement in the top ten. So we'll have to see. I'm going to be fascinated to see. I mean, this is the best part about the tournament is you get to see these interconference matchups. You get to see how these teams stack up against each other. It feels chalk right now going through it on paper. I doubt it will be, but uh, how much uh, craziness we'll see. We'll um, we'll have to see after the weekend. Yeah, it's going to be fun. And again, we are looking forward to coming back next week to break down all of the week one action. And hopefully we'll be able to bring back our cracked interviews, press row and talk to all of our sweet 16 coaches. Obviously we'll have Jay back on next Tuesday to offer our analysis on everything that's happened. But with that in mind, 
That's your preview of the opening weekend of the 2022 NCAA Division I Women's College Tennis Tournament. Now, of course, we will be back tomorrow to do the same exercise for the men. Then we will be back Thursday for a little mailbag action. And tomorrow, the graphics going out, Jay, I promise we'll start soliciting questions. I don't know what we're going to do without your questions uh, in the mailbag, because certainly they provided us plenty of fodder for discussion over the years. But have again, a few alts. Yeah, exactly. Again, <laughs> our plan. Well, the problem is I'll be like, this is a Jay question. I now know you're all. But that, with that said, again, our plan to provide you all podcasts each and every day leading to the start of play. If you are a Great Shot podcast listener, you're hearing this on Wednesday. Tomorrow, you'll hear the men's preview. Then Friday before the action begins, you can listen to the mailbag. You can submit those questions on Twitter at Crack Brackets, at AL Gruskin, at Jay Tweets Tennis. We want to answer everything. And I do want to give a shout out to Chris Hallioris. We'll give him the bigger shout out tomorrow, but a way you can engage, interact with this NCAA tournament, go can participate in the bracket challenge. He set up. We all love making picks. We all love feeling smart. We'll have some prizes set up for you. I'll make the formal announcement with Chris tomorrow. I'll also definitely do a victory lap myself, but here's what I want to say. This is why I love the professor. Now, you know what? I'll do it tomorrow. I'll do it tomorrow. I was going to literally, I don't want to do it twice. I'll do it tomorrow. You do it tomorrow. I'll just do my plug for it. This is the best thing Chris has launched in years. Uh, this is super exciting. Uh, please go and submit your brackets, your picks. I, I can't wait for it. Um, it's it's really well done. It's super easy to do. Uh, you know, get those women's pick picks in. If you do a men's, why not a women's? Um, so I'm really excited for this. Uh, hats off to Chris. Okay. Well, no, no. You can Alex, say- let someone else take a fucking compliment for once. I'm like, yeah, Chris deserves all of the credit in the world. We'll get into the origins of the idea tomorrow. Uh, no, well, uh, you, I mean, I don't play that game with you, so we don't okay. need to play that game. Here's what I did. Pod. I implored Chris. I was like, will you, I was like, I'm not smart enough to do this, but you are smart enough to do this. Will you please make the bracket challenge and all the credit in the world to Chris, who literally three days later texts me and West off and goes, hey, can you guys do a trial run? Like, I have it all set up. And you're just like, are you serious? Like, you did it in three days. And he's like, yeah, but there's some bugs. And like, he's the only one smart enough to do it. And so I agree with you. Go participate. It's so simple. It's literally click, pick, click, pick, click, pick. The tiebreak question, what's the clinching singles flight? I was pretty proud of that one as well. Oh, that's a um, good one. Yeah, he defaulted. He goes, I have no idea. I was like, do we go match length? He's like, can you look that up? I was like, no, but clinching spot, we'll all know. So, and there's six possible permutations. So you feel like there is, to, you know, if we have a tie there at the end, shout out to that math. Um, with all that said, Shout out to Chris Helios for setting up the bracket challenge. You can go sign up at collegetennisranks.com. Maybe we can get a link up on our website as well. That'll send that link to Chris's website. We'll worry about that tomorrow. Westoff, with that said, a shout out as always to our super producer, Daniel Westoff, on the ones and twos, who as always has a heck of an editing job to do. Shout out to our friends at Swing Vision and Turna as well. Learn more about Swing Vision by clicking on the link in the description to this app. Of course, you can use our promo code CRACK20 at sign up and learn more about Turna by contacting sales at uniquesports.com today. With that said, Jay, any final thoughts before we wrap today's show? No. Be honest. <laughs> over under an hour and a half. That feels a little light, right? You thought we were going over. I'm. I was stunned. There was a moment I looked up and we were at only an hour, and I was stunned. Organization, Jay. When I, we, this is what happens when I make the outlines. I feel invested in them. Uh, versus <laughs> yours, I'm like, ah. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Uh, no. As always, with all that said, for the fantastic. John Parsons, our super producer, Daniel Westoff, our friends at Swing Vision and Turner. And from all of us here at both Crack Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. Jay, what do we tell the people? Hey, great shot.
and we will see you all tomorrow. Thanks, everyone.